This conversation on composition features Andrew Atwood, Laurel Broughton, Thomas Klasnick, Andrew Kovacs, Jimenez Lai, Michael Loverich, Anna Niemark, James Tate, and Ellie Ward. Produced for Attention, the audio journal for architecture. How you do without? How it, really. yeah! I can't imagine that was a thing that ever would, didn't exist. It's yeah. like it's, that's what it's. Everything is about composition, isn't it? Essentially, it's like make or break. You know, it's like that's what you. It's how you put a piece of work together. That's how you make something beautiful. It's all about the composition, and there there are no rules, but there there are rules. That was Elian Thomas. Now we'll hear from Andrew Kovacs, James Tate, and Anna Niemark. Composition is uh, the ordering of different elements. And I think that in a general way, it's the ordering of different elements or parts or pieces or fragments into some kind of larger thing that can either have a very obvious legibility or not. When I hear the word composition, I'm, I'm thinking relationships between party and diagram, when I see Durand's kind of taxonomy of, of different parties, the kind of a priori composition, the kind of starting with starting with a nine square or a four square or so something where at the end of the day you want the legibility of that that predetermined figure to in some way be constraining the project. I understand the word composition to be something that is not automated. Rather than thinking of a plan, let's say the drawing of the plan, as an automated set of techniques or technical activities, literally a kind of rhino cut, let's say, on the wall that has been rendered somehow, I think of composition as something that happens without a single push of the button, but the construction of the plan rather than an automated production of the plan. Now, Andrew Kovacs, James Tate, and Andrew Atwood talk about the role of composition in their teaching and their work, and they start to indicate in their remarks that the term composition has a lot of historical baggage attached. Yeah, I think there, there's a few. So, like, one is this idea I have where it's 1 plus x equals 1, so 1 plus any number of additional parts still make a legible whole or one thing. Another one is just like a high degree of difference within clear or bounded shape. I mean, I think that's similar to one plus x equals one. I mean, I think one might be more of a plan strategy. One might be more of a three-dimensional strategy. There's always a kind of idea of high degrees of difference that are legible. One type of plan versus adjacent and even touching another plan where both are extremely different. One of, one example is Blake Corbusier's proposal for Paris in 1925, where he has his proposal drawn, clean, tall, and then Paris, low, photographed, dirty. So, but you know, some, what I love about that image is that they both kind of need each other. Um, to, to like, the core by itself is, you know, not as radical or aggressively new without uh, Paris next to it. And Paris, kind of just with, without the core proposal, maybe it's easier to, to argue for its demolition. So I, I sort of appreciate like how those two things have to live together or negotiate each other. So kind of 
incredible extremes next to each other. I mean, even in like the kind of the, the one plus X equals one, which sort of comes from Mike, the elevation of Michael Graves's addition to the Whitney Museum, which where, where if you don't know what the Whitney Museum looks like in elevation, you might totally miss it when you just like first glance at the, the Graves proposal, as horrifying as it might be. But then you sort of, when you, if you know that it's the Whitney, then you kind of realize, oh, look at all those other things that are kind of around it, even though they're quite small, but then the way they're placed together makes up a new kind of whole or a new singular object. So they're like, I think, and that's a kind of logic of addition or logic of comparison or uh, contiguity, like one thing touching the next thing, like just at its kind of edge in a way. Another way is to think about like, if it's like, if you just limit yourself to a single type of piece, like a, like a column or just a wall, then I think there are other things like rhythm, repetition, the size of a column or the size of a wall, the orientation against um, uh, the, 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 the spacing between them. Uh, so I think that it's very much a kind of 2D thing. In 3D, it's, it becomes like, like with the Graves edition, or slightly starts to become something else where you can have like a flickering of readings where you can read the parts, but you can also read the whole. I think one of the reasons why composition might have left the conversation for a while is because of the diagram and, and the diagram wanting to not know kind of what the end object would be through its series of deformations, transformations. But I think one of the things that happened was when do you know in that process of, of the diagram when to stop it? And for some people it became constraints outside of architecture that would help you to determine when that diagram had kind of run its course. For Eisenman, I mean, I can remember seeing some of those studios where you would get these matrix, these different matrix of different ways that the process would unfold and then you would choose which one was the most kind of aesthetically appealing or, or there would be a different set of judgment that values that you would place on it in order to say this one over that one and we watched this in Peter's in the evolution of the houses where in the early ones you clearly read the organizational party and in the later ones it's been completely eroded away. I, I guess I still believe that at the end of the day, when you look at the plan or the section of a, of a given project, you should be able to, in some way, to read it. It, it needs to have some legibility to it. And, and so, so I, think about, I think about composition on that level. I also think about it in relation to, especially because of some of the things that we see with some of my colleagues here, ideas of certain things that have a kind of still life approach to composition or the kind of ensemble of things. I mean, that's why probably quite a few of us are drawn to certain early Gary projects where I think that that was a kind of attitude towards composition because when we look at like the, uh, the Wenton Guest House, for example, and, and how it arranges parts to one another, that's a different idea of composition than the plan composition. 
And I think that maybe that's probably one of the big differences is when one is working either in digital 3D model or in physical model, as opposed to working in plan and section, I think they, I think the two produce different attitudes towards composition. I use it a lot in teaching. I don't know if I, I would ever use it in a way in which we would describe our, like our work, but and it, for me, it's sort of in opposition to thinking spatially. It's a sort of 2D formal exercise, the arrangement of things or parts on a 2D surface. I don't understand, frankly, the baggage, the historical baggage around that term, but as a, as a way to describe a method of working that isolates or in some cases brackets off spatial issues or perceptual issues related to the kind of the way in which someone imagines a kind of totalizing experience inside of a building as a way to just think about how one would begin to arrange things in a plan, let's say, or in a section and not have, and sort of and sort of alleviate themselves from the anxieties or the responsibilities of that thing projected into space, just to think of it as its own kind of 2D thing and, and sort of, let's say, appreciate it for its own kind of qualities. I mean, that's the way I describe it, and that, that's the way I would describe it, and that's the way in which I, I, I've used the term, um, a kind of appreciation for things that are bracketed out of, I would even say sort of three-dimensional form or mm-hmm. space and sort of mm-hmm. isolates things onto a kind of surface. We asked Andrew and Anna to expand on the historical baggage around the term. Anna responded first. I, I think that the reason why it's slightly perceived as negative and this maybe has to do with all the terms that we are trying to describe today, they're all art historical terms. Postmodernism, critique, which comes from the avant-garde, figuration, what's this last one? Composition. They're terms from, they're terms from art that we borrow, that we bring into architecture. Many people are allergic to this. This is not something that is easy to to know how to deal with it because many of us would love to have, maybe not many, but some of us would be interested in maybe finally producing our own discourse that isn't constantly linked to art historical practice or art practice. And yet here we are coming back to the terms that have defined the work of Clement Greenberg, the work of Rosalind Krauss, the work of Sylvia Levin, you know, the post-medium. You know, the, these things come from, from working in art history. So what comes out of architecture? Actually, the thing you're saying about Scott Cohen was maybe a little bit different. I mean, his, his lectures were about the Zarg's theorem, and he was really interested in looking at, and this is kind of, you know, this is very special, I think, about Scott, and at least the class that we took with Andrew at the GSD. I would say it was the only really core class, the way I understand it, that dealt with a core topic within the discipline, uh, both as a kind of technique uh, for form making, but also as a kind of history of that technique. Really, I, would, I, would, I, I would describe that as totally different. I think okay, it's go Geometry is universal. Yeah. Doesn't it sort of transcends all of these things? It didn't like. I don't think that he sought authority in, let's say, mathematical proofs and theorems as a as a way to actually prove. Mm-hmm. That it was that these things were kind of universal, mm-hmm. and he he simply sort of like I don't think he was interested in their history or in the in the positioning of them even. That geometry was just a kind of universal truth that like had a very close relationship with the with architecture. It was one way to escape any kind of history. 
um, at all, really. It was just, it existed as a kind of thing outside of history. That's the way I would describe like Scott's approach to geometry and specifically that class. This is a good place to return to Ellie and Thomas, who are discussing the merits of complexity. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's a sense of, in, I think with a question of complexity, uh, which has been discussed, maybe there's a sense that things that could have been arranged quite minimally, or just you know, a row of houses in a straight line, for instance, a terrace, that now maybe you would feel that that doesn't have enough um, disruption or enough messiness about it. So there might be a, a desire to break that line and, and to introduce maybe more than, more than one geometry within it. I, but that's it. I mean, that's, that's what composition is. I, I think, you know, it's about... Um, it's about... It's not about how or, you know, the way. It's just about, like, harmony. It's about achieving harmony. And there's, like... A, a gazillion different, you know, ways you can do that, and there's always a sense of whether it, it works or it doesn't work. I think the, the game is to, you know, play play with that. Um, it can be really simple or it could be super complex. Um, uh, complex is harder. So when when something's really complex and and manages to get it right, it's really impressive. But then the simplest plan can be like one of the most you know, satisfying things as well. Um, I think there's something quite artificial about this project, forcing things to um, appear different, lots of difference within the same um, project. Well, yeah, like you say, there's there's the urge to just kind of like jazz things up, isn't there? Like, oh, it looks a bit... You know, that looks a bit kind of to play. Or to it's, I think it's also it a kind of British or in sort of hesitance to um, admit the scale of things that are being built in a way that mm. you know, rather than build a, a hundred story tower and be proud of that you built the biggest tower, you know, you kind of try and be quite humble. And, if you think about it, the different scale, the scale of interior, I've been looking at quite a lot of, um, we've been working on a, a, a private house um, and having a heat, like, huge fun with, with the plan of that. We've been looking at a lot of Charles Moore in, interiors, you know, um, which just have to, you know, just these incredible complex plans mm. um, that are just, I mean, just so impressive, like, you know, so kind of, and they, you know, they all work, they all look so beautiful, um, but things you would never dream of kind of trying. And I'm, I'm kind of I'm really interested in, in that and the, the complexity of, of a kind of plan at the moment um, in terms of composition. Speaking of complexity, here's Michael on the influence of Bernini and Bel Composto on the work of Bitter Tang. Composition is a huge thing because we, no one ever sees it, but as we're working through these things, there is a very strong effort putting put into composition, proportion, sort of like how things begin to look and relate to each other. And again, that's something that's not really taught ever. There's two things that kind of guide the way that we do think about composition and that how I think how we actually do think about part to whole. 
and that can be found in primarily in Bernini and which who was kind of the origin of the term bel composto which is basically a merging of uh painting uh sculpture and architecture and then like our kind of version of it is that we would merge more things together people plants living things like that's where like Bernini's fountain sculptures for me kind of are kind of the epitome of our attitude, I think, toward art to whole. It speaks, Bel Composto speaks more toward the merging of different disciplines. It doesn't necessarily provide a framework or like uh, a structure for doing that. And I don't think we've provided a framework for that either. We, there is kind of an intuitive logic to that we kind of work under. We usually don't antagonize two different objects necessarily. The objects themselves may be under pressure or aggravated, but usually they're, if they are, they're in a giant brawl in a pub or something where like everyone's aggravated and they're all kind of like at each other's throats, but there's not never like sort of a, uh, an opposition, I guess. I mean, there is, but we try and merge things together like how and i think that's part of why people think our work is a little bit strange is that we do try and by merging together penises and vaginas into a landscape there's a little bit of strangeness i think in that when jimenez thinks about his compositional strategy he thinks less in terms of complexity part and whole but in terms of the opposition between objecthood and field condition for him, the inspiration is less Bernini and more Hieronymus Bosch. Uh, uh, tried to approach this question of composition from, let's say, very very reductive, you know, categories: field composition or object composition. So, for example, when we look at the plan of Casa de Musica, for example, uh, that's clearly to me an object. Like when I see that, right? Like its relationship with the city, you know, it's. It's an isolated uh, figure to a larger ground. But then there are other ways of making composition. Uh, as you know, one of my favorite paintings of all time is Garden of Earthly Delight from Hieronymus Bosch. Uh, you know, when you look at uh, his painting, uh, especially Garden of Earthly Delight, that's a field condition. That is not an object condition. It's a scattering of multiple objects, and it's an incredibly anecdotal, kind of episodic, kind of uh, dispersal of a lot of things happening at the same time. Which, you know, when we look at the digital painting or digital art of e-boy, I think that's also a similar um, field situation. And so uh, I'm obviously interested in both, the, the field versus the object. And so let's maybe then look at what I think to be really interesting. We all remember the series of Parc de la Villette from OMA, like not, not the front axon painting, but the plan. And the plan the outline of the plan of the park, as you repeat it so many times, uh, like the Campbell Soup can, that I have a really strong memory of the outline of the park. But then the park is maybe cropping a field condition. Uh, what, what I'm trying to say is, you know, like these are maybe some of my tendencies, like when I, when I try to compose. I also think, you know, the composition of layers is really interesting. Uh, so that, okay, so how do you achieve a all-overness or a, a fear of emptiness? To achieve it, I guess, obviously, you're in, one would need layers and 
maybe back to the rational question, like I think the best way to go about it to me often is to go back to a grid and then dance around the grid and like slap things in a, in a non, non-upright manner. Well, in fact, you know, the word, the words, you're such a formalist, uh, it was meant to be a pejorative back in school for me. I'm thinking about design and the production value of design. Like, of course, I think it's a visual culture. And so the, the visual levels of achievement is totally, you know, our responsibility. So if we're going to, we as a profession, architecture, uh, say stuff like, oh, no, we, we shouldn't be good at being good com- composition makers, then we're actually committing a, a social irresponsibility. That if we're not going to do it, like no one's going to do it, because uh, engineers, they're not going to do it. Yeah. We're like we're the ones who are producing this kind of visual communication, and uh, which contributes to the, co- the making of cultures and societies. And so the the it's almost almost like kind of ridiculous to say. On one hand, it'll sound ridiculous to say that making great composition is a civic duty, but it kind of is. Like the way that we understand Rome or the way that we understand Paris is partially based on the visual residues of Rome and Paris and, and now like let's say Beijing you know there is a visual registration of contemporary Beijing that, that I can think of and maybe you have some visual cues when, when, when we utter the words Beijing with the word Beijing but then which is also to say that maybe just to say that the architect likes it maybe it's also not enough maybe I mean I think it is important to to be able to say it well like why must something be composed this way and how is it interesting but Back when I was a student, uh, that was not encouraged. This last part features Laurel Brockton and Andrew Kovacs, who call into question how useful the conversation on this topic of composition can actually be. I think composition is inherently important to almost everything, but I don't feel like I can actually speak to it in a disciplinary sense, the way it operates in my own work I think of I actually don't necessarily think about it as something that's say different than sensibility or there's some there's a kind of inherent aspect in of composition but I'm not I yeah no I don't think of it as a super well it obviously is there because something would look terrible without <laughs> without composition I don't think it's it's not a kind of of a primary concern I would say figure is a much more primary concern for me which they're obviously related both in a kind of drawing sense or in an object sense and that would maybe be the thing I'm more interested in the rep- in my own representations is the figure that something cuts. Yeah, but then, I mean, part of, I mean, I, I think yes, but then part of me also wonders, like, is it really necessary to talk about? I think in a school setting, absolutely, but I don't know if, like, in an office setting, you're going to discuss the composition of your building with a client. Maybe you will, <laughs> um, but... So I, I, I wonder, the, the value of discussing composition is strictly f- for architects interested in, in for, for architects interested in it at a very kind of 
intellectual level, but I don't, I mean, I, I wonder, should we, do we have to, I mean, do we, should, I think we should teach it. I don't know how we should teach it, but at the same time, maybe it's like grammar. Like you have to learn how to write a proper sentence. So maybe you should have, you have to learn how to like appropriately compose a building, but then that also sort of is limiting in a way because it suggests that buildings uh, have to be composed. And so I, 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 I'm kind of for it, but I'm also kind of against it. And I, I sound like, you know, a, a, a sh shady politician when I say that. Because, like, you know, I think that composition in, in a way limits, I mean, it's important, but it also kind of limits, like, what really a building could be or what architecture, like, what, like, in a really extreme imaginative way, like, what architecture could really offer, which might even be a kind of utopian kind of impulse. Maybe another way to put it, the lesson of composition is to make things beautiful. If you're really kind of talking about the rhythm of columns or spacing of columns, you're kind of just left with columns. And I don't know if that's going to, like, you're, you're kind of, you've, you've sort of limited what a building can be at that point. So I think in order to teach composition, you maybe need things like that. But then you're sort of already kind of stopped into what architecture can be in a way. It, to, to a, it, at, at a basic level of trying to communicate what composition is. So then I think like at the next level, maybe if you kind of understand composition, like then, I mean, I think that, but that, you know, that's the lesson, at least for me of composition, that things should sort of be beautiful, ordered in a kind of way where they're legible or they, there's a kind of rationale to them that things sort of make, I think make sense. You've been listening to a conversation on composition. Interviews were conducted by Joseph Bedford, Kurt Gambetta, Mark Achari, Joanna Grant, and Kevin Pazik between 2014 and 2015. Produced for the third issue of Attention, the audio journal for architecture, in 2016 by Griffin Ofish.